0: to the Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, go to aero at heyarrow.com if you're looking for a great place to have tools to help your salespeople manage their customer base as well as get their deals done faster and with less clicks and less paperwork. So check that out at heyarrow.com. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and Sean's nice enough to come on a couple times a week to talk about what's going on Sean how you doing this morning
1: I'm doing good Casey we're a little chilly here low Um, 60s in South Florida
0: yeah your low is my high so yeah that's cool (laughs) that's cool that's exciting I can't wait till till it's uh your low is half or twice as high as my high so (laughs) that'll be that'll be great I can't wait for that
1: I think I think that's gonna be tomorrow
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I really think you're about right. I think tomorrow's <laughs> low is like 12 or something like that. So yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get it. All right, man. Well, there's there's a lot of stuff going on. Watching the weather last night, actually, was, I started to notice the jet stream you're talking about and how the uh, amplifications of that you know where the dip down on the west and it kind of came up in the central part of the United States and dip back down in the in the east um, started to kind of show itself up. So. Give a little bit of an update on that. You're talking about the back half of November going into December and what that looked like and the cold weather that was coming, and there is a shot of cold weather going to hit the, uh, the central United States here. Not for very long, just a, few couple, just a few days, but I think it might be the precursor to what you've been talking about.
1: Yeah, the, the, the amplified jet stream that is an offshoot of the sudden stratospheric warming event that we had late October, early December, we're starting to see that pattern, get, the, the upper airflow pattern, get developed. We're starting to see in Europe ice cold uh, China had ice ice cold temperatures and blizzards you know it is remember this is, goes around the whole northern hemisphere it's not just a us based thing um, and it's gonna be more of a persistent pattern now at least central east you're gonna get more of that this downward amplified pattern and of course as you climatically get further on into the season, you know the air gets colder and colder and the uh, temperature differentials get bigger and bigger and then your opportunity for Storms gets bigger and bigger, so it's it's everything is kind of happening the way I think we've been expecting to see it, and we're starting to get that initial change in the pattern where you're starting to see some of this happen. Um, I mean, looking just a few weeks down the road, it actually looks like we may. Has some freezing temperatures in central northern Florida uh, potentially um, which would be an issue for citrus and oranges and that sort of thing um, and that'd be pretty early in the season for Florida to get that so so yeah things are happening uh, you know remember the weather models don't ever see the, the cold or the warm bias but eventually they they just suddenly see it all of a sudden and we're starting to see the 55 different <laughs> Model there. and I and I and I watch them all just because yeah. I'm just trying to see when they're starting to pick up stuff, one after another, after another, after another. Case He's starting to see this change in the in, in the jet stream ampl- amplification, and so I think we're on we're on deck for this to to, to play out, and and I think this cold shot we're going to get here uh, this week is the first uh, leading edge of this big change in the pattern.
0: So, yep. yeah, it looks like you're just looking at. Just the the forecast for the temperatures that are coming out, um, you know we, we dropped down to i think today 's high is sixty nine or sixty five or something like that when, and then we drop down into forty and then we 've got some overnights in the teens, and then we kind of pop back up into uh, into the 50s and, to, and going into the weekend. so there 's definitely some some cold air that 's going to kind of hit us and and uh, like you said i 'm looking forward to see what happens here this the this, this second half of November going into December so so on that front, we got to talk about oil. Oil is, um, man, I will tell you what, it's it's taken off. The idea of hundred dollar oil is uh, is creeping up here, um, ever so closely each day. Um, seems like oil, there's, there's not much out there that's going to really stop that from happening. And I guess we'll talk about oil a little bit and some of those energy markets that you're, that you're paying close attention to um, and kind of what you see happening there going into this, you know, again, this fertilizer thing as well as just overall fuel issues that we're going to see going into the spring of 22.
1: Well, you know, crude oil has, has, has two hats. One hat is how's the economy doing How's trucking doing? How are, how many people are driving? How many people are taking airplanes and using fuel for economic reasons and, and, you know, vacation reasons, that sort of thing. So, so that's the big part of what, you know, of what fuel demand comes from. The other factor is diesel and heating oil to heat people's homes, especially in the Northeast. So, um, you know, the the crude oil market got hit a little bit here the last, um, over the last, I guess, uh, three or four days on some economic concerns. Um, But the heating oil market is really the one that's going to be the beneficiary of a cold pattern, especially a cold pattern in the east. That's really where demand for heating. So I would, instead of focusing on crude oil as much because I think it's a mixed bag, I would focus more on the heating oil market. I think that's the market that could respond in an outperforming sense to a more persistent cold uh, pattern here in the central east um and of course to the extent that drives increased demand for crude it does but i think crude could be stuck in a economy's not doing so good but the winter's cold and you know but i think the heating oil market could actually have a pretty strong trend uh to the upside whereas natural gas is primarily heating your home electricity to your home and you know that that you know that's going to go up or down not because the economy is doing well or poor because do people need to hit their homes or not? And obviously, with our weather forecast we've had for a while and with the cold air starting to come in, you know, last week, Casey, we, um, the injections into stores were essentially flat. So the first time we didn't have a, an increase since the, incre- uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the build up season began last April. Um, and, and it was still relatively warm last week. So with the cold air coming in, you know we're st- we're going to. St- what I'm getting at, we're starting the drawdown season now, and now we have to measure how much are we drawing down relative to what we normally do, and then start tracking that against how much we actually have, and and how long is this going to go on? Because we're going to start tracking. You know, Sean Ryan, we're going to start scraping the bottom of the storage barrel when we get into March and April. So, so interesting times for natural gas and um, it's been a lot of volatility in us natural gas had it, you know, had a big, big, big setback here on some profit taking and you know, all that sort of thing. But I think we'll probably, if we haven't already, we're, we're very close to setting a secondary low in us natural gas. And I'm anticipating, you know, this next search is going to take us to new highs from what we saw before in all the winter months, including the month of April, which is where we're most interested um, in, 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 protecting because that's a, that, that market is at a huge discount which normally is correct we think it's incorrect this year because of how late this winter is going to be ending
0: so all right yep all right so let's jump over and talk about uh brazil uh, interesting report this morning um they lowered tariffs on a lot of goods coming into the country import tariffs coming in one of which is ethanol so a country that is uh that creates as much ethanol as they do for them to lower that that import tax on ethanol that tells you that there uh, might be some, some issues there that they're trying to address.
1: Remember, they have a corn shortage. Right. They have a sugar shortage. Right. Now, now both of those may ease up, but not right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Meaning we might have a, right. we might have a big safrinha corn crop, but that's not going to be available till what, uh, May, June, right. July? Um, the sugar, well, we, we know we have a big shortage. Yes, we think the sugar crush could be bigger. We think they could have better production. But that doesn't come into play until March and beyond. So, so they don't have a lot of feedstock right now, Casey, to make a lot more ethanol. Um, and I think that's where they're at. They're in a situation where short term, they're in a pinch where their demand for fuel is really high. I mean, I was just down there. I can tell you they are bustling down there. Uh, economically, I mean, there were people moving, trucks moving, and the place was rocking. So they're using a lot of fuel down there, Casey. Um, agriculture is booming down there. And so, um, you know, they're just in a situation where they just need some ethanol. Now, of course, you know, the US is producing a lot of ethanol, record amounts of ethanol of all time. If you look at the crush and how much ethanol we're producing, and the, and the ethanol margin fantastic. So, it continues to be a good story for those that are, that are growing corn, that are selling corn to the ethanol plants. They're bidding up huge cash basis to get this corn in. And, yeah, they're going to sell a lot of ethanol to, uh, to Brazil during this window where they're short. It's a good it's good news to, to kind of sop up some of this, you know, harvest supplies that always inevitably tends to depress the market. I think this ethanol story is going to clean it up without having to create any major downswing beyond what we've already seen. Yep.
0: So. Well, a lot of stuff to pay attention to down there because of every report. Now, it's kind of like everything that comes out, but every report is this is going to be a record soybean crop, record corn crop, record, record, record. So definitely something to pay attention to um, in in the South American growing season as we head into that. Um, Last but not least, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in um, pork. Um, It is an odd place. The Chinese keep coming back in and buying some pork from time to time. Not as consistently as they've been. Um, they've talked about how they've got a big surplus over there now. So, you know, I know I have a surplus, but you're still buying stuff. So kind of watch what I do, not what I say type of thing. So I guess as you look at, the, uh, at the, the pork market right now, what are your thoughts there?
1: Well, we have this working thesis, Casey, and I think and we've done a lot of research on this. The prevailing consensus is that, they, that the Chinese have rebuilt their herd, they overproduce, and now they're in a, a systemic oversupply situation. We disagree. We believe, from our work, is that they actually had a second serious round of African swine. There was actually a different strain than the first one that caused an initial herd liquidation. The problem is those with the healthy pigs said, wait a minute, I ain't waiting around to, so my pigs get sick and I get nothing. I'm going to sell them while I still can get something for it then get nothing for it. And they started selling. And then all those that didn't do anything, started you know, losing $80 a head, and economically they said, I have, I have no, <laughs> I'm have, out of business, I have to sell. So you, had, you know, had this mass liquidation stemming from the second round of African swine fever that occurred in the first half of 2021, and then it unloaded massive amounts of pork supply. The pork price crashed, the hog price crashed. However, if we're correct about that assessment there's a massive rebuild of the herd yet again. We're calling it African Swine Fever Act 2 is what we're calling it. And uh, that means that they're going to rebuild the herd. They're going to be a, there's another major major shortage. Our estimates are between 30 and 40% of their hog herd got reduced in the back half of 21 because of this mass liquidation event. So big pork shortage what does that mean? That means that they're going to have to come back and buy like crazy again from the United States. We think the first half of '22, they're going to be back like they were before buying and buying. They don't have a choice. We think the demand for beef is going to go through the roof. Now, the thing with beef, though, the beef supply, because of last year's drought, because of high feed prices, global beef supplies are going to be down 3 to 5% between over the next two years, and there's no hope for that change you know, the, the cattle cycles is long, so there's no way to change that. So we have reduct- reduction in beef cattle supplies, and we have this secondary meat protein shortage. So we're really excited about the cattle market actually outperforming the hog market this time. The last time the hog market, you know, beat out the, 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 the cattle market in the first wave of the African swine fever rebuild, we think this time around, it's going to be the cattle market. So uh, bean meal demand is going to go through the roof, KC in the first half. Corn feed's going to go through the roof. We think they could be back buying our corn and, uh, and buying more soybeans to crush more meal. In fact, look at the bean meal rally over the last week. Just massive spike trade in bean meal, something we'd warned about on your show before, you know that we were seeing the, the, the stars align for the potential for that to happen. And one of the most important indicators is that the number one feed for piglets which, of course, you know, you have to have piglets before you have pigs, and that's how you rebuild the herd, is dry whey. The Chinese buy all their dry whey, or almost all of it, from the United States. We, we just sell a massive amounts of dry whey. The dry whey price has absolutely exploded here over the last month. I think it's up over 50% in just the last month as they're buying dry whey. Remember, they have to buy dry whey before the piglets come. They just can't say, oh, yeah, here are the piglets. we will got nothing to feed them. You buy the whey first. The piglets come and they rebuild the herd. That tells us that our thesis is correct. Or else why in the world would they buy so much dry way if they had no need to rebuild the herd? They wouldn't be needing all those piglet feed. So I think that's a big story, Casey, for a, for a pretty exciting uh, ag market set up for 2022, the likes we just went through. But, you know, this time around, back then when we went, went through African Swive Fever Act 1, we had tons of grain.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Now our stocks are depleted. Yeah. We had tons of pork. You know, now our stocks are depleted. Everything's de- we had. We were growing beef production. Now it's on the decline. So we're going to go through this time with things really in a very, very t- much tighter situation. So we think that's a story that's going to get a lot of headlines, Casey, uh, in the first half of 22. And I think we'll refer back to this show and say, "Remember, we talked about all that." Well, I, I think that's going to be a big, big story that not a whole lot of people are yet talking about. So,
0: typical, typical stuff here, Sean. You're breaking, you're breaking new ground on the, on the Moving Iron Podcast.
1: <laughs> well, my job was to look ahead. What are the newspapers yeah. going to say in March of twenty two? Um, and that's that's my job, and I, you know, when I is to figure when that is. I don't need to know what they're saying today. That's that needed to be traded six months earlier. All right. So, you know, today doesn't. I don't really care anything about today. I, I want to know what what do I think they're going to say in March. I think they're going to say. Oh my gosh, we've had a historic winter. It's never going to end. It just had you know a blizzard of all blizzards in March. How are we going to get this crop planted? Oh my gosh, the Chinese in you know, all kinds of corn feed. They're, they, they're 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 rebuilding their hog herd. I mean, I, I just feel all this is going to be the story headline for March. You know, at a time that um, you know that that you know we like I said we're just going to have a, a lot less available, and the farmer. He's just not. He gave to a lot, a lot of ag supplies away last year for low price. He ain't doing it this year. It's it's lock and key. Come get it if you want it, but I'm not giving it to you this time because I need a higher price. It's a very different mentality. And the buyer who got caught not buying last year and chasing the market up is saying, "I want it right now," and yep. that, that's why you're getting these strong cash bids in the in the market across the board.
0: So. Yep. All right. Last thing, uh, Biden and Xi Jinping got together and had a little powwow here. Uh, I think it was Monday, maybe uh, they got together. Anyway, uh, Biden was, you know, putting the screws to him about the Phase One trade deal and what that looks like. Um, just because of the situation that we just talked about, for example, um, those kind of things might actually make it look like they're going to fulfill the Chaired One or the Phase One. Uh, uh, part of the uh, of the trade agreement just strictly because of out of need not necessarily that necessity. So I guess uh, What are your thoughts there on that?
1: I've always believed that the trade deal was a political um, Agreement that the Chinese did to just buy themselves time it just so happened that um, They had a uh, some really really poor crops last year and they had to come in, not because they wanted to deliver on the trade deal, because they just had to buy the corn and they had right. to buy the beans. They had to buy the pork. And it made, so it made it look like they were trying to make good. I don't believe for one second they were trying to make good. And I think, once again, if I'm correct about the thesis I just laid out, it's going to look like they're trying to make good on the second year or you know whatever they're supposed to commitment. They're not. But, they, but I believe they need to buy this, whether, whether we had a trade deal or not. So, so at the end of the day, I've never believed that the Chinese were ever going to buy stuff from us they didn't need. I believe they did it because I think they might have suspected they needed to buy a bunch of, of products anyway. And I think they wanted to make sure that if they did need to buy a bunch, there was an agreement in place that said we were going to allow them to buy a lot. Because the biggest fear of the Chinese is someone like Biden says, you know what, no more exports for you. But if we have an agreement that says they allowed to buy a bunch, pretty hard to break. I mean, they could break the agreement, but it's harder to break an agreement if you have one than if you didn't have one at all. I almost think they did it to make sure they wouldn't get locked out of our market. That's how I think.
0: Hmm. So, That's a good point. Yeah, I never thought of it like that. So, That's an angle that I don't think many people have considered. So, yeah, good job. Now, all right, Sean, plenty of stuff going on here, a million different things going at you. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what is uh, – you know what? Hold on a second. Let's, let's talk about one more thing. Sure. Hard red winter wheat. and I meant to bring this up at the beginning of the show. Looks like the kind of what we saw got planted in Kansas, what we saw got planted in Oklahoma, Texas, those things like that. Looks like the crop may have improved just a little bit um, just because of some timely rains and some, and some warmer than the normal temperatures that we've seen this fall. Talk about that a little bit, and and kind of what are your thoughts there as we head into this um, bigger picture? I guess this winter, when we look at some at some threats we might see on some on the winter wheat pro, uh, crop.
1: I mean, look, because we're going to have such a persistently cold winter, there's always an opportunity you get a cold blast without sufficient snow cover. I, I don't know how to forecast that specifically. You know, those microregions right. are they going to have enough snow or not? My suspicion is. And my forecast is we're going to have a whole lot more snow this year than we had last year. So the opportunity for a winter kill event, is prob- the probabilities, are, I think, are far less. Even though we're going to have a lot more cold, right. I think we're also going to have a lot more snow cover. So I, I'm, I am kind of uh, toning down the opportunity for a winter kill event this winter. doesn't mean it can't happen, but I, I, I think that the, the it's less likely. I am more worried about post-dormancy. How, when, how, it's going to be so cold for so long, so late. When do we come out of dormancy? When we do come out of dormancy, do we get, a, you know, do we get a freeze over the top? I mean, I'm more worried about what happens when we get into the dormancy season than I am about getting a winter kill event this particular season. So I think, I think once we go in, you know, as this crop, you know, goes quiet into dormancy and we go into the winter season, we get a bunch of snow. I just don't see that being a likely catalyst. But I would be looking at March, April, May. For a chaotic post-dormancy season to really light this market up um, even more than it already has. I mean, it's already been lit up already on the shortage of high-quality wheat. But what, do you, what could happen if the market looks at a failed post-dormancy season for winter wheat? I mean, it could be pretty wild, Casey. It could be really, really wild. Right. So uh, c- can't rule it out completely, but I would, um, I would tone down the idea of a winter kill event this winter just because I think it's going to have a lot more snowfall. Right
0: so. Deal. well yeah plenty of stuff to pay attention to sean now we'll close down the show if folks, folks <laughs> want to reach out to you get more information about what hackett financial can do for them what's the best way to do that
1: um our website is hackett h-a-c-k-e-t-t advisors.com all kinds of information on there um interviews and such to see how we look at things and, and what we do, yeah, I, I, and if, it, if people are more interested about this thesis about uh, African swine fever, we did a bar chart article on Saturday that goes over a little more detail, and you can also go on a link there. If you want to get that report, you can certainly go there and get that. So hopefully, in all of that, if you think we can help you, you know, your listeners we'd be, we'd be glad to do so.
0: Yep. so. Check them out, guys. There's a lot of good information there. Uh, go to go to com or hackingadvisors.com and check that out. And uh, a lot of great information there that you can just pick around and see what's there. So, Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man.
1: Always great, Casey, and I'll look forward to it later this week. Yeah, so. me too.
0: So I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also go to uh, movingironllc.com for everything uh, Moving Iron related. Um, might go out and check uh, check YouTube too. i got a YouTube channel out there, uh, Moving Iron Podcast. Check that out. And uh, if you like that, smash the like button. And then I guess that's what the kids do these days. So do that, and then we will uh, – We'll get back to you there. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour. Let's go to some folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com.
1: Moving higher in the 21st century, hardworking people working hard. Time and time again, through the years, you'll find us here,
0: moving higher.